Hello, Potikumans, and welcome to another episode of the Potikesis podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I'm Brett Maddox, and once again, we're joined by your very best friends, Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow. They're here. I promise you they're here. How you guys doing? I'm doing great. Jim. 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 Well, I was just trying to make sure that people uh, thought you were wrong for a second, that I wasn't really here, but then I thought that would be counterproductive for the episode. Hey, everybody, it's Jim Morrow. Glad to be joining all of our co-hosts and Potacumans here today. Awesome, awesome. I hope you're doing well uh, out there in Potakesis land. And uh, we just want to remind you, you can hit us up on social media, at Potakesis, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, when you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review that helps us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find us anywhere you listen to your podcast. Share us with your friends. Um, want to give another shout-out to our favorite online Wesleyan magazine, the Firebrand magazine. You can find them at Firebrand Mag. Dot com. Um, you know, usually at this point, I always ask, are there any loose ends from the last episode? We talked about Jesus as priest uh, last time occupying that office of priest. Um, and usually, Jim is very quick to say, there are no loose ends. Let's just move on. However, there is a loose end. It's a particularly, uh, how did I, I put some syllables in that word there that didn't belong, it, uh, uh, extremely loose end that really goes with the idea of, of, of Christ as priest. And that is, we never talked about Passover. Uh, how did we forget Passover? I mean, we were coming out of the Easter season. Um, coming out, we're still in the Easter season, I guess you could say, but we were coming out of Easter Sunday. How did we not talk about Passover when talking about Jesus as the priest? I blame Jim Morrow on this. He's the one who tries to keep us on track. I blame Jim on this. Listen, listen, if there wasn't somebody around here trying to keep order and move things forward, who knows where we would be at this point? We would still be on question number one. No, <laughs> I kid, I true. kid. It, it is neat to bring up the Passovers you talk about, uh, to talk about the priestly act of, of Christ, because he is, in a sense, um, both the Passover lamb and the one slight, you know, offering it up. Right. Um, it, now, to be fair, um, the priestly behavior belonged to the people in Egypt, if you remember the Passover story. Right. Um, however, being the one to make the sacrifice on behalf of all of the people is quite a priestly act. Right. Uh, therefore, uh, in the whole crucifixion and atonement discussion, the Passover is a powerfully large image, and if, if Christ is the priest who offers, um, who offers all of that on behalf of God to us, that is a pretty powerful thing. The oh, angel of death will now pass over. Right. In fact, because he's been conquered by Christ. Yeah, and that's and that's the key there that he has been because Passover was something to be celebrated year in and year out. You can read about the institution of Passover um, in Exodus. Uh, you can read about the whole story of uh, Exodus one through twelve, but the institution of Passover uh, verses fourteen through seventeen of chapter twelve in Exodus. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, with John the Baptist um, when he sees Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The, the idea here that um, Passover was completed, maybe, is how we want to put it, or that it, ne- it didn't necessarily have to be celebrated ag- again. There didn't need to be another sacrifice on the day of Passover because right. this has been fulfilled. And, and, that, and that picks up along with the Levitical Day of Atonement, which we right. talked about as well. Those two uh, images uh, fit in with the 
Hebrews theme of the priesthood of Christ as a once and for all, Mm -hmm. um, that the sacrifice has been completed uh, and therefore doesn't need to continue to be repeated. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, some good stuff there. And um, I I do think it's interesting too, the last supper Jesus celebrates is a Passover meal. I mean, there's just all kinds of beautiful imagery uh, there, um, even in the gospels about Jesus fulfilling this. So we didn't want to leave that out. Uh, that was really, we should have talked about it in the last episode. It's just bonus material. Bonus material from Jesus as priest. So any uh, way you want to spin it, Jim, <laughs> any way you want to spin it. Hey, look, look, it's all about, just it's say all it. about the packaging. It's all about the packaging. <laughs> That's right. So, sure. Um, uh, so this week, we are talking uh, from question 26 of John Wesley's revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, continuing this teaching on the offices that Jesus um, executes or that he occupies. Uh, we've done prophet. Uh, we did priest last time. This time, uh, the question, question 26 comes, how does Christ execute the office of a king? Hmm. hmm. Well, we know Jim doesn't have the answer. Uh, I mean, so, yes, exactly. I mean, he didn't even know Passover, so let's move on. So, Alan. <laughs> uh, Christ yeah, no, executes no, hold the... On, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to let that slide. I'm going to let that slide. I don't have the answer, but because because the, it's, it, the nerdiness is just welling up within me, I do have a quote for you, and it may be a deep cut, and I may get some hate nerd points for this, but one of the first things that comes to my head, and it's probably because uh, Tolkien was such a, a genius in crafting the Christian uh, ethos into one of my favorite books and movie franchises, The Lord of the Rings, when we opened up the catechism to this passage, the first thought that I had, this is no mere ranger. He is Aragorn, son of Arathorn, and you owe him your allegiance. Yes, yes, the return. Ooh, and if you, can na- if you can name the character who spoke that line, I give you potacumen points. Now, what is the answer to the question, how does Christ execute the office of a king? I do not know because I researched the Lord of the Rings instead of this episode. Yeah, and that's, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's better than the office. So Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Boom, boom, boom. Like all of these, you got a short question and you get a short answer, but there's so much packed into this uh, this answer. And so we're going to start off, as we always do, with the scripture proofs that come from the catechism. Um, and we're going to start off in Acts 15. And Acts 15 is, um, contextually, this is a passage out of Acts uh, called the, um, the uh, Council of Jerusalem. It's about the uh, meeting of the Council of Jerusalem that is called together to answer the question of what should we do with Gentiles or non-Jews who become followers of Jesus? Should they become Jewish before they can become full-on followers of Jesus? And this becomes a pretty big controversy, uh, probably one of the first big controversies within the church um, after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, what do we do with Jewish, uh, a non-Jewish or Gentile converts. And um, interestingly enough, you had someone like Paul who would go out and say, no, we 
we don't need to put stumbling blocks because we don't need to have them become followers of the law before they become uh, followers of the one who fulfills the law. I mean, he he his he's speaking. Let Jesus is the answer. So that's always the thing. Jesus is the answer. And there's some conditions put on that. Uh, that the Jerusalem Council they actually agree with Paul with the with his uh, statement and say, go and tell the Gentiles, come on in. We're Praise God, you're a follower of Jesus, uh, uh, and here, don't don't eat, tell them not to eat food given to idols and to abstain from sexual immorality. But yes, they're welcome. They don't have to be circumcised. Any of that, they're they're good to go. And in the middle of this Jerusalem Council passage in Acts 15, we get this. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 12 here um, in 15, and all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, uh, brothers, listen to me. Uh, Simeon, um, or Simon, sorry, and has related how God first visited in Gentiles to take to, from them um, a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. That remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. So here, Luke, who's writing Acts, uh, is, is, re is telling us of a major development within the church um, in its earliest infancies, where who, who's allowed to come in? Well, anyone who professes Christ, right? Anyone who, uh, who, who, who takes a need of Christ and says, we're going to follow him. It doesn't, you don't have to become Jewish in this sense before you can become Christian. And there is prophetic uh, foretelling of this there's prophecy of this where God is going to come. There's going to be a rebuilding uh, through the Messiah of the tent of David, of the house of David, of the dynasty of David, that Davidic covenant. Um, and, and part of that is welcoming the Gentiles in, that it's always been about uh, God's mission. It's always been about the entire world, the entirety of humanity, not just a particular group of people. And so um, that Davidic line speaking to the kingship of Jesus, that Jesus fulfills that Davidic uh, kingship, um, um, that covenant, that Davidic covenant. All right. Um, some really good stuff there, by the way. Acts 15 is one of my favorite uh passages. Uh, go and read it. It's awesome. Just to see how there was a controversy in the earliest church and how the earliest church dealt with that controversy. Hmm. So the, a, couple, a couple other proofs are coming out of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 33 and a few verses in 32. <clears throat> and one of the things that we'll pick up here is uh, when we talked about the King, King David, he becomes kind of um, a sign of sorts of what will be and the prophets pick up on that a lot. So they'll mention things um, about the coming king and a king like David. And, and so this kingship becomes the yearning for the perfect king. Um, and that will be the one to come. That will be the king, the role of king that Christ will fulfill. So just a couple of quick verses here out of Isaiah. Um, I love Isaiah and the prophets because you can read them uh, timelessly and bound into the sheer context in which the words were written, and, and they give you a nice fleshed out meaning. So just real quick, Isaiah 33, chapter, uh, verse 22. For the Lord is our judge, 
The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He is the one who will save us. Right. And so it gives a sense that the Lord is our king, but then wraps up into um, the justice matter of the kingship of the Lord, the legal uh, understanding of the lordship of the Lord or the kingship of the Lord and the salvific, the say he will save us. So, and then overtly just says the Lord is our King and right. Jesus then fulfills that as a scripture proof. Right. So uh, another quick verse in chapter 32, uh, first few verses, see a King will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Mm -hmm. A king, Isaiah prophesies, will reign in justice. It will bring great relief, great joy uh, to the people. And so again, we're seeing the kind of work that Christ fulfills. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Alan, uh, this is sure. also another of my fa personal favorites. Um, and I think Alan's got a good word about it. Yeah, so uh, we've talked about the office of prophet that Jesus held, the office of priest, and then today uh, the office of king. And I like what Odin, Odin sort of uh, Thomas Odin talks about how you can look at Jesus's life and death and resurrection, and you can see these offices playing out. Um, that in his um, his life on earth, he was. Uh, prophet, those sort of years of, of ministry. Um, he fulfilled the, the role of prophet in his death, um, suffering and death. He fulfilled the role of priest and it is in his resurrection and glorification that he fulfills his role as king. And so in, in first Corinthians 15, um, Paul is talking about the resurrection, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection. Um, and, and we get into some of the role of king uh, that Christ fulfills through the resurrection, particularly answering about um, conquering our, our enemies and his enemy. Right. Uh, so I'm going to begin with uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 26. He, he writes, Paul writes, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And I, I'm like, can we just yes. get an amen? amen? I mean, like, that is yes. like the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we, we see that already in his resurrection, yeah. that uh, he, he defeated death. Um, but, but, but in his return, um, death will be destroyed all altogether. That so. is so good, too, because when you read the answer to this catechism, right, it says conquering all his and our enemies. One of the questions that comes up, okay, who's our enemies? Or what's our enemies? What's God's enemy? Who's God's enemies? And I guess in our mindset, we're really quick to put kind of people in that group, um, certain groups of people, whatever it may be. 
but perhaps uh, what we see in the resurrection story of Jesus and the future hope and glory for all of us is that the real enemy is not necessarily people, whereas it is death itself. Um, it is sin and death, and uh, yeah, he conquers, man. That's awesome. Well, and and when you, you know, we go back to the garden and what was the, you know, the the curse or the uh, mm-hmm. the threat against eating the fruit you will surely die. was yeah. that you will surely die. Yeah. And so from that moment on, death has been an enemy to all of us. Yeah. And so uh, Christ the King comes to destroy it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would add in there too, um, the powers thus associated with death. The, yes, sure. Then yes. if you bring in things like Ephesians, then uh, the uh, uh, Prince of the Powers of the Air, et cetera, right. um, you understand that there is active force involved in bringing death right. forward. Yes. Um, so there is, and there is a spiritual, uh, spiritual matter to that where the enemy is not simply death itself, but all of the powers associated that would seek to overwhelm humanity with them. Yeah. Well, and, and even our first Corinthians passage says after at, he will give over the kingdom to God, the father, after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Right. So that the only dominion, authority, and power will be God, the father, uh, Christ the King. Right. Um, so, so I'm looking at the answer to the catechism and I, I really like how it's laid out. And so, well, Brett, you brought up conquering enemies as an interesting, there's another clause there that's interesting to me. And I'd like, and across the conversation, it'd be good to talk about them all. This is laid out. So great. Christ executes the office of the King in one subduing us to himself. And I would assume that the, um, the us, those pronouns in this answer are referring to the church, um, subduing us to himself. Second, he rules and defends us. So there's two more verbs. He rules and defends us. And then finally, he executes the office of King in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. So there's this these various segments of work that we could do entire hours long on each of them. Right. Um, so as we get through that, the one that interests me, I'll just bring it up as a, a little teaser, is subduing us to mm. himself. Mm-hmm. The question that I'd like to explore is, how does Christ do that? Because I wonder if our answer from our Wesleyan tradition might be shaded a little differently than the catechism as it was originally written. Yeah. Uh, shaded, I, not different. Shaded different. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I think that's awesome. Uh, back to the, the the death thing, and then I want to come to that, back to your question there, um, or your comment there, Jim. Um, Joe Donjel, Joseph Donjel, a New Testament professor out of Asbury Seminary, um, he talks about death uh, kind of in, I will say, modern terms. He talks about it as uh, this death monster, right? Like this, mm-hmm. there, and, and that think of death having tentacles that come out of it, that hook you, that grab you and suck you in. And it could be sin. It could be uh, illness. It could be spiritual issues. It could be natural disasters. It could be um, anything anything demonic. I mean, it could be anything that causes death, that draws you in. And if you particularly study like the gospel of Mark, Mark goes through and bit by bit chops off those tentacles. Jesus is doing that. 
just get you know dealing with the demonic dealing with the natural dealing with the uh, Ill, uh, illnesses dealing with all of uh, all of this these things ultimately destroying death itself in the resurrection in the power of the resurrection mm-hmm. so uh, a really good long-term bible study is uh, it's on seedbed it's one that Joseph Donjel wrote uh, for the gospel of mark um, it is a uh, 30 two-week, 33-week Bible study on deep, deep dive on the Gospel of Mark. It's awesome. Just go, you can look up Joseph Donjel, Gospel of Mark, and um, it's it's from his the one book series. It's the bi- biblical journey on the Gospel of Mark. I'll put a link to it in our show notes. Show notes. And, uh, but it's excellent because Mark keeps coming back to that, coming back to that, coming back to that. And you just see this almost systematic destruction of death all throughout it and it's, it's so what you're saying is amazing. that um the death monster has tentacles and and they get cut off much like aragorn cuts off the tentacles of the kraken monster outside the mines of moria is that what you're telling me that's exactly what this i'm telling is, you and deep was, nerd I, cut for all yeah, my friends yeah, there out you, there, there gotta you. bring it i think that's exactly what brett said that's exactly yeah. what i was saying mm-hmm. all right yeah. so back to what you were saying jim about this because actually the subduing piece was interesting to me as well so, so from- the reason that it's interesting to me is because your kind of your classic and likely reductionist uh, reform theory is tulip, where it talks about unresistible grace, whereas in uh, in the way that in the let's say that again, irresistible grace. Yeah, irresistible. You is un- unconditional election. All right, Mister Extreme Low Lowly. No, I mean unconditional. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, irresistible grace. Yeah, you irresistible got me. Grace. We can. Cut I think that I got mine wrong too, but I do know it's irresistible grace. All right, go ahead. So the idea, <laughs> the way in which that 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 uh, approach theologically talks about God's predestining work means that once you are cho- there is no way that you have any choice other than to respond to the grace that God shows to you. It's irresistible. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And. So that that way Christ would subdue in that way. So, and, and, and I may be reading a certain lens there that may, may not be what the catechism is talking about directly, but that's one of my first thoughts. And then I think, how does Christ the King subdue us? What are some ways that might happen from a Wesleyan framework? So, uh, I would imagine on a Wesleyan side, we've got the idea of prevenient grace, right? Uh, that um, I've always understood prevenient grace to to be a um, uh, we call that Ric Flair grace. Woo! Woo! Wooing you! Yes! Wow! How did we all know? Like that? That was great. <laughs> Woo! So, so that's one of the that's one of the thoughts that I had is that God <laughs> subdues. There's a in the pure divine power of God's love, right, is able then to subdue, right, uh, through people, not through. And force. I guess I I guess I was thinking of it as I, I take subduing. It's to me, it sounds like it's an ongoing thing. It does. Um, mm-hmm. And and while you know, so there's, I think it's. All I think it's God's grace. I mean, it's the whole um, prevenient, justifying, sanctifying. Right. Sanctifying. I, mean, I think it's something that um, that you and you and you, oh, the three of us, we are being subdued mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. Uh, into Christ's rule. Mm-hmm. That there yes. are areas in our lives where Christ has more rule than in others. Mm-hmm. You yes. know that we where allow we, Him where, to have where more. We rules. are more rebellious than others. Mm-hmm. 
Correct. Right. Um, that's the way I read it. And that's, that's yeah, just so I'm seeing um, it on both sides. I'm seeing I'm seeing like I, the subduing is the journey from um rebellious into holiness all the way right. through. That's kind of what I was thinking. If we were to look at that from a, a Wesleyan framework, um, I don't know if it works this way for you, but there's something in my spirit that still rebels against forceful words about God. And I, and I'm working through that where it doesn't bother me as much anymore, but that might be why it struck my attention. And especially with God being as powerful and wonderful as he is, he has every right to use any kind sure. of force he wants to, but generally the forces that God uses are all towards goodness. Um, because that's what God is and all, all through love as that's what God is. Now, does that mean that God will not use power with which to bring us under his rule. I don't, I believe he absolutely will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like looking at that, thinking about that, as you all both mentioned from the beginning of God's seeking us to our Christian perfection in Christ that is subduing mm-hmm. us. I like that. And Alan, I like that continual subduing yeah, from and- Ric Flair grace there you to go. holiness. Uh, so we are nerding out this episode. I'm just I am you know. nerding out. I need it today. <laughs> and, <laughs> and admittedly, I will say this: I'm not a Calvinist scholar at all. I don't. I know a lot more about Wesleyan Arminianism than I do about Calvinism. But within Calvinistic thought, not even so much under the irresistible grace piece, but there is a concept of common grace. Mm-hmm. That also could play into this subduing issue of common grace being my understanding, and I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, for those Calvinist friends who are out there who would like to correct me, I would love to for you to uh, put it in our um, uh, com- connect with us on on. Uh, yeah, and if you do have uh, a social media about that you just tag it with hashtag Brett's a heretic, and we'll know exactly what you're talking about. Oh my goodness. Uh, so we were, uh, here, let's see, uh, we are 25 minutes into this episode. So, uh, all right. So <laughs> they, uh, got the heretic button pushed once again, but, uh, common grace is the idea that, uh, the reason my understanding of it is the reason we don't just completely annihilate each other is because there's this grace of God that is holding us in check, if you will, mm-hmm. from being completely overrun by the sin in which we are corrupted by. So um, that's my understanding of common grace, and I'm sure there's a lot more to that uh, as well. Um, but yeah, you know, notice also in the catechism, in the answer, there are these three words, and I liked how you use that kind of forceful words. There's that uh, subduing, ruling, and restraining. Right, so subduing us to himself, ruling us, and restraining all of his enemies. Restraining uh, this idea of um, actively doing something. Uh, you you said something about forceful words of God mm-hmm. and, and 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 the love of God. Um, I think there are definitely moments where God can forcefully, because He loves us, frequently, frequently to you know forcefully do because he loves i mean i do that with my kids there you know um i can forcefully you know restrict them from doing something because it's unsafe or it is is you know they 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 were being disobedient so they needed to have some sort of you know whatever so um there is definitely uh that that comes out of a heart of love itself Right. And just a, just a personal reflection. I mean, I think, so I like the fact that we can name together and I want all of our podcasters to recognize this too, that there are things that we talk about when we talk about God that give us reactions that we're not really aware of why. Yeah. 
right? That's right. So right. it doesn't mean we have to reject it outright. So one of the reasons I think that I reject that, I, did, I, I, it, I don't reject it now, but it, it kind of still captures my attention and makes me want to think when we think of forceful words like subduing us. I always right. like it when God uses forceful things on other people, right? Yes, of course. Oh, but subduing us. But I also, Ooh. I was coming up into faith. I don't really like that. That's a joke. But there's, um, <laughs> when I was coming up in faith, I was also surrounded not only by the good formation, but by a really forceful fundamentalism that ultimately was really harmful. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have kind of a uh, an alarm on that. And I think that we're seeing in a lot of people who are um, ex-evangelicals, for example, yeah. or people who are, what do you call it? all the people who are, you know, giving up their faith and uh, deconstructing faith? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so you can have, you can recognize how the way that people have talked about God has affected you, but you don't have to reject God to do that. Right. Um, but also, I think coming out of an American culture, um, we rebelled against our king, didn't we? To well, I was about to say are. that, right? I was about to say that this yeah. might, this idea of Jesus being king might not be as pal- palatable right. Right. to us. Yeah, no, well, I mean, you know, Washington refused to be, to be labeled and to be called a king. Yeah. Um, and it, although there were there were many who wanted him to be um, king. Mm-hmm. And so it just it's in it's it's a part it's a it's in our DNA as Americans to sort of resist this idea of mm-hmm. kingship. Um, yeah, but you and you also have like the the that is true. And what a king can do over subjects we don't want done to us. Mm-hmm. Like in the name, and, and it's not just America. Or what we understand, on. what we understand, a right. king would do. Well, you know, right? Like my freedom, for example. Right. And to be subdued and to be ruled, I'd like to be defended, please. Yes, according to the catechism. So those things push against human nature. But I am always reminded in listening back over our conversations and and learning as we learn about God in his pure being, pure goodness, pure love, how freeing it actually becomes to be a pure subject subdued by God, yeah, by Christ the yeah. King. Yeah, 100%. So I, I, I don't know why I wanted to... Part of it, guys, when we talk is I like to name the tensions around theology yeah. because maybe maybe somebody else can benefit from that. Now, I, if no, it's I think made it's, any sense, maybe it's benefit. No, I, I think, I mean, like, I love the idea of God defending me. I love the idea of God restraining and conquering my enemies. Not sure... You know, when you hear the words subdue right. or or rule, the, yeah, I mean, those are those are less fun until you dig deep and you understand what they really yeah. mean right. and the kind of king that we get to serve yes. um, versus the kind of king we have in our brains and our. Ooh, um, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting? I think it's no, I think that's a really good, it's a really good, uh, you know, moment to just focus in on that. So. No, and I, I agree, you know, for me personally, um, like the fatherhood of God, um, mm-hmm. has always been a freeing thing for me because I did not have a good picture of a father growing right. up, a very negative, in fact, uh, with some abuse that I went through. But it's interesting when I when I gave my life to Jesus, one of the things that really just struck home with me 
is the fatherhood of God. Like just that. Right. It, it was almost, and, and I, I can see that even with what you're saying, Jim, here um, is uh, there's some healing. God, only God can do this type of healing yes. where he can take the hurts deep within us and heal us to where we say, you know what? Man, there it, this is free. I think about um, think about like James, the brother of Jesus, Jude, the brother of Jesus, mm-hmm. who opened their letters with mm. not James, the brother of Jesus, or Jude, the brother of Jesus, Jesus, but with James, a bond servant of Jesus, right. or Jude, a bond servant of Jesus, and so there was there was freedom in just recognizing uh, that sovereign rule. Um, and, and Alan, you, you made that the king that we have in our head or the, the, per, the, the thing we have in our head, almost it's an idolatry is what it is, but, uh, th- this image we make in our head of what we think King Jesus should be like. Um, and, and it's usually m- molded into an image we create. Right. Um, last night I was leading a small group and we're doing a deep dive through the gospel of Mark and, uh, we're in Mark chapter 10 or 11 where you've got uh, the sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John, um, who ask Jesus, uh, hey, um, do what we ask you to do for us. Um, it's, it's very fascinating. And Jesus' reply was, well, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> and he's, they're like, well, we want to be your lieutenants. We want to be on your right and your left. And the story right after that is blind Bartimaeus, where you've got this blind beggar who ask for mercy, have mercy on me, Lord. And Jesus says, what is it you want me to do for you? The same exact question he asked, but two different perspectives coming Mm -hmm. from this. And um, I think many times we're like James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and not like the blind beggar who is in total submission and saying, have mercy upon me, have mercy upon me. Right, and and what you look at is... the complete and utter joy and restoration that comes with yeah, say yeah. blind Bartimaeus who becomes an, uh, just a pure subservient to Christ mm-hmm. versus the one that would then have to reduce themselves and be forced to be. Yeah. And yeah. so I think it's really like when we spend time talking about Christ, the King and looking at these passages of scripture, we can tell a beautiful story or we can use those words to force people to be less than they are. Like Mm -hmm. I can imagine a sermon coming out like Christ is king and you better be his servant, which could tell you that you have to be less and less who God created you to be, to be an underling, which, I mean, there's probably some truth to that, but the tone, the tone then could be, but we can become a servant of Christ instead of a servant of what we are serving and then be more fully who God created us to be, to fulfill the purpose of mankind, humankind, which we found in question one, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever forever. well and jesus says you know my yoke is easy and my burden is light right and um you know we're moving a little head it's like jesus is in the is in the the kingship of david right the Mm -hmm. the line of david Mm -hmm. the and earlier um god promises david an eternal kingdom um but when the Israelites ask for a king, what does Samuel do? He warns them about all the things that the, the king is going to ask them to do. Yeah. All the things he's going to force them to do. He's going to take all, he's going to take their property for himself. He's going to, he's going to force them to be um, 
in the army and so forth and so forth and so forth. Take their, take their children and so forth. Um, and yet Jesus comes in my bird and says, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right. Um, it's a different kind of King. That's right. Um, we, and so, um, to be a servant of King Jesus, um, Mm-hmm. is i don't know it's restful it's beautiful it's, restful. it's it's beautiful right it's peaceful it's um because god is love god is all those good things so um, yeah and then one more little reflection i guess apparently jesus is working in my mind as we speak right now because as much as i was resisting <laughs> those forceful things right. um i also am reminded that i do feel the power of the subduing in the rebellious parts of me. So the one who would find that to be absolutely threatening would be the one who would then, you know, need to be subdued versus the one who would need, who would yield. Right. Um, so there's, it's a really powerful, it's not just an image, it's a truth, but to consider Christ this way is powerful. And I think that's one of the values of considering the offices of Christ, because we can just pick our place on where we like Jesus the most, Jesus meek and mild, wonderful. And then you could live there like Ricky Bobby with his eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus that he likes the best. (laughs) But then you also have King Jesus. But if you live in King Jesus, you might miss the meek and mildness of Jesus. So to look at the totality of who Christ is, and and just try to regularly remember the wide scriptural witness, please, let's all meditate on the parts that God leads us to in scripture uh, at the time we need to, but always keeping the big picture in mind will help us have a wide, um, a large scope mm-hmm. as we follow him, maybe a well-rounded faith. And, and one of the ways you can do this too is, and, and Jim, that's great because this wide, almost uh, keeping a 40,000 foot view of scripture while you do a deep dive on maybe a particular pericope or passage or whatever it is, then uh, it is helpful to always know how does this fit in the wider story so like the king in the Old Testament, we've got the Messiah, Jesus, who follows in the line of David in the house of David, right? The dynasty of David. Really, what we're looking at here is, I think, and I could be wrong, uh, yes, he is He is a king who is, who is continuing on the dynasty or that covenant, the Davidic covenant. But the kingship that Jesus actually holds to is the kingship that is talked about in Deuteronomy 17. So in in Samuel, uh, what Alan just brought up, the people are wanting a king, Hmm. and Samuel is like, there's going to be issues with this. God is like, there's going to be issues with this. this, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But here's the deal. Years before, centuries before, there was provision given to the Israelites, to the Jews, over having a king. So the idea of a king, a ruler, a sovereign, is not antithetical to Jewish faith, to uh, Yahweh worship, to uh, Yahweh faith. What it is, is what the people in Samuel's day was wanting was a king like the other nations had. Right. They wanted to be like the Joneses. You know, they wanted to be like everybody else. They, the Joneses just north of Samaria. Up yeah, there. that's yeah. exactly right. Uh, they wanted to be like them. So what I would tell you is go read Deuteronomy 17, um, verses 14 through 20, and you'll see what the king that is honoring of Yahweh does. Well, he meditates upon the law day and night. Um, he 
he is reading it. Like the law is his heart. The law of God is his heart. And that you really start seeing that the image of the king for in Deuteronomy is not so much built upon power, prestige, how many chariots he has, any of that kind of stuff. How much gold is in the coffers, how many taxes he levies, how many nations he conquers. It's about the law. It's about the heart of God. It's about um, um, it's about those things that are most important to take that out to the nations, to be, for the nations to know Yahweh. Uh, by the time they get to Samuel, after they've gone through the, the, the period of the judges, I mean, things are just so out of control uh, within, uh, within the people. And so God's like, all right, you can have a king, but there are, gonna, there are, issues, uh, there are issues behind this. Um, yeah, and so that's... Jesus, I think, is a fulfillment of really the king from Deuteronomy. That picture, right? And if you'll remember, Samuel says that First uh, Samuel says that they have rejected me as their king. That's what the what God says. And so, in Christ, you have that reuniting of the human king and God as rightful king, um, tying mm-hmm. back into that whole conversation too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, another absolutely. thing that people do when um, when when we have words that um, you, have you noticed how sometimes words take on new meaning, and then we oh, try to reject everybody. them as ideas. Yeah. Um, some people who who have a lot of trouble with uh, imperial language, um, we can try to soften those things out in our faith, and maybe we can do so with rightful theological thought. Um, and so when you have words like king and kingdom, um, nowadays what we're seeing a lot is the word kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, and so let me take the, let me steel man that idea, and by that I mean try to build it up as something, uh, if so if we're going to talk about it, we can do it with respect. The idea there being is that the kingdom that Christ creates is one of deep community and unity where all people are seen as creations of God. Um, And so I I think there's a lot of value in seeing that. The one thing that I think is difficult in replacing completely the idea of the kingdom of God of which Christ is king and replacing it with a theological term like kingdom, completely replacing it, is that you then lose the power rightfully offered to Christ and the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, and, and with the idea of trying to escape the power of God, um, that power will end up going somewhere in a theology. And the question is, does it go where it belongs, where it even though it always belongs with God? So uh, I wonder what y'all thought about this idea of kingdom and kingdom. Does anybody have any thoughts about that? I, well, I think, um, um, yeah, I, I think you presented that very well. Um, I think the danger is that you one, um, in 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 naming it king kingdom, you lose the king, um, you lose. Um, who it's all about um, in, in the attempt to sort of um, reclaim the word sort of, you know, um, and I think it's also, you, like you said, you lose the power um, and it's a way of sort of getting the good stuff or the things that are more palatable to us and removing the things that we don't like, like the subduing and the ruling. Yeah, and, um, and imperial language, which uh, which we 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 are trying 
and maybe as a as a Western culture, really trying to grapple with what that means, maybe sure. rightfully or wrongfully. So I think I think it depends where you're coming from. Yeah, Brett, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I thought actually you put it put it very very well there. Um, my my issue is pretty much with what Alan was saying though, is um, the focus. So when you do like kingdom, it, that that word kin, it's us. Yeah. It's us. It puts the focus on us. Whereas the kingdom puts the focus on the king, on Jesus. Also, I'm not really big on taking 2,000 plus years of interpretation and tradition and way of teaching. And because uh, for whatever agenda that we're holding, uh, that we want to uh, up, uphold or whatever, uh, we choose to change the language. I, I think about what Jesus says, and and, and in, in the Greek itself, when uh, in Mark chapter four, where he uh, when he says, um, I think it's Mark four, where he says, um, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is near." Uh, Basileia, he, he, I believe, is the word, and it is not a familial term. It's that's a exactly right. It is not term. a familial term. There are familial terms, Koin, yes, like uh, koinonia and um, yeah. uh, the, and uh, brothers and, and sisters. We, and we, and the, you know, right? And we certainly later we're called brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, that right. is and friends of God. That is part right. of that is part of us being in the kingdom of God, right. which shows you the kind of king that we. That's um, right serve right so, and, and we're, we're, we're called to that that repentance um we're called to submission to jesus i mean that is a um that he that that's the number one we're not called to um how do i put this because i don't I, i'm going to be taken so out of context on this um because i people think are, this is a free safe space yeah, it's not because going, people are going to be nobody like, else will Brett hear this hates everybody <laughs> nobody else will hear this that's true um, but it's almost as if, so yes, the imperial language, the colonial stuff, all, I mean, I, I get that. Um, and I get that we want to be careful when we, we start talking about, although I think sometimes we use those terms because they're popular on social media and we really don't know what we're talking about, but we, 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 if you read the scriptures, if you read the New Testament, the reason why we have fellowship, koinonia, with each other, the reason why we are brothers and sisters is because of Jesus. It's not because we just want to be kind to each other. Right. The, that, that, and when you go with, like, the kingdom of God, you're starting with us. You're starting with how we treat each other that will lead us to Jesus. And I'm saying that our, our brokenness and our fallenness <laughs> doesn't allow that to happen. Because we will mm. always choose ourselves over Jesus. We will always do that. We will always mm. choose ourselves over Jesus. But if we allow ourselves to, if we submit to the grace of God, if we submit to King Jesus and, and, and say, okay, I'm going to follow you in your ways, and I'm going to repent, turn away from my ways, and follow you in your kingdom, and your then then yes, then I can have fellowship with my brothers and sisters. I can forgive my enemies. Listen, without Jesus, without King Jesus, I never forgive my enemies. Hmm. I never do. Forgiveness is not even a thing in my book, and you know because that's just not my nature, and I'm just not going there. But because Jesus forgives his enemies, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Then I can and calls me to do the same. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's important. That's kingdom 
that's kingdom things. That's submission. Of yeah. Them. Yeah. Pieces. At least that's my, that's my thinking yeah. on it. Um, I think, it, I think it's fair. I've got three, three kind of quick, quick thoughts on it. Kingdom versus kingdom. I can go with you both ways, depending where it's coming from in your purposes for using a, a theological term like kingdom. If it's in conjunction then to describe the way in which um, the people, Christ brings people together, but you're not using it in such a way as to replace the term uh, exclusively um, as an occasional way of describing something. It doesn't bother me very, very much. One of the things we have a tendency to be doing, and you could watch, if you watch the last uh, even 12 years of politics, you'll watch what happens is we'll take a word used, reappropriate a word, empty of, of its meaning, replace its meaning, and then we have power over it. Mm-hmm. Um, we do that a lot. And it's right now it's a very, very effective political tool, but we do it as kind of a postmodern society. And so I am not in favor of saying theology was never accurate until I myself was born into this world and had this thought. And I now have the power for all of Christendom and all of you to redefine a theological term. I think that that's hubris and not helpful. Um, So that's the two thoughts. The second thought is, um, the next thought is, it all comes down to where does your anthropology start? Are we the focus of the world or is God the focus of the world? Yes. And so that's going to be a thing. So ultimately, like, I'm not going to, I'm, it's not a hill for me to die on, but I I am going to say, I'm going to resist a replacement and redefining of, of theological words for all of the reason that we said, if let's say, let's say it comes up as uh, occasionally as a way of describing something uh, in a, in a good faith discussion. I understand that. Absolutely. But I just think it's important for us to be aware of the wider usages and the wider effects that our words have um, mm-hmm. beyond just their first utterance. That's right. Well, I think um, I think one of the reasons we started this podcast was to sort of get back to the basics. Yes. Um, and I think it's, an, I would much rather try to reclaim, um, to, to reclaim, reteach, um, uh, help people understand the original meaning Mm-hmm. than to try to um, use a new phrase or new word. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. And so, you know, kind of same spin, on, but different topic is, um, so I consider myself an evangelical. So evangelical is one of those words that gets co-opted by groups on both sides of any sort of theological aisle. Right. Um, and when people, you know, and I, I tell people I'm an evangelical of the classical sense. And what I mean by a, the classical sense is the original idea of what an evangelical, one who loves the gospel, the euangelion, one who follows and takes seriously the authority of the gospel, this authority of scriptures, the authority of the uniqueness of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, the resurrection being real, these things, because it is the story of the scriptures. Uh, your earliest evangelicals were people who would feed the poor, who, uh, you know, clothe the naked, who'd visit the prisons, who would, um, who would abolish slavery, who would do these things. Why? Because the authority of the scriptures, because of the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, was real. It was important 
to them. That's the evangelical. I'm the uh, the William Booths and the John and Charles Wesleys and the 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 Charles Finneys and the these are the historical markers. Uh, the Phoebe Palmers and the uh, Susanna Wesleys and the um, uh, Richard Allens and the these these um, um, is it Richard Allen, the founder of AME? Did I say that right? I think it's at Richard Allen. Anyway, Allen is the last name. I do know. Well, that. check and put it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, I know that's exactly right. But um, it's it's the it's the these who are the foundations of the the evangelical movement, but evangelicalism. I have I have two clergy friends who are very much kind of in line theologically with me, who hate the word evangelical because it's been co opted, mm-hmm. and I'm one who says, let's live into what it is historically, because you know I don't care if it's been co opted. This is who I am. Uh, you know, and so, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I t- I'd say take it back. Hashtag Brett rant. Yes, it is a Brett rant. But <laughs> it's exactly what you're saying is, um, you know, uh, what, I, I don't know if any of our listeners are um, philosophy nerds, but um, there was a, a postmodern philosopher named Jacques Derrida who was mm-hmm. uh, kind of the founder of deconstructionism, right, the deconstruction movement, which is exactly what this is. Of of taking a word that's and 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 deconstructing it of all its power, rebuilding it under the power you want to give it, and then you've got this whole nother thing. And honestly, that to me is so damaging. Um, words matter, and um, the power we give words matter, and the history of meaning and and thought and what things are, it matters. And I think we need to live into who we are and. Um, you know, so that's it. Um, absolutely. So one of the beautiful things that happens, uh, sometimes with the podcast, if you're able to, if you're willing to stick with us to an episode is that's not just an intellectual exercise. It's all about us helping one another and helping you, the listeners to wrestle through things that might be happening theologically. Cause the stuff, it matters in our, in our faith. Um, and it also matters that we can wrestle with it without having to give it up. Right. Um, right. And yes, so we can go yes. round and round like this yes. without, without saying, okay, this is the definition of Christianity that's presented to me. I don't resonate with it. I guess it's not for me, Ooh, yeah. but to be able not just to talk about say the catechism and teach, but to be able to demonstrate and wrestle with each other to give us all the room to do like Jacob wrestle with God until we find the blessing instead yeah. of quitting and assuming that there never was a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. So the kingdom of God, repent for the kingdom of God is here or near, I should say. Uh, what are we talking about there? Well, um, going to our main man, Thomas Odin, he kind of lists out these uh, three uh, kingdoms, if you want to call it that, uh, that Christ occupies um, or the sovereignty he has over these, um, or let's call them arenas or kingdom or however you want to put that. The first is uh, the kingdom of power. This is from his second volume of his systematic, of Thomas Oden's systematic. The kingdom of power is that sovereignty through which Christ exercises sustaining governance over the world, disposes all things in heaven and earth, and uh, for uh, per, uh, preservation, uh, calling, and salvation, uh, for the preservation, calling, and salvation of his people. All things are sustained in the word, by the word of his power. His dominion extends over all. So the, the kingdom of power is like over everything. And then you've got the kingdom of grace, 
which is the sovereignty through which the son bestows spiritual blessings in his in this life through word and sacrament he awakens calls empowers and preserves the church um, the subjects of the dominion of grace are believers united to Christ through word and sacrament. The dominion of grace is the church, which Christ enables, furnishes, equips with gifts requisite for mission or to mission and defends against every incipient temptation and apostasy. And then there is the kingdom of glory is that which uh, is that future fulfillment of the messianic mission through which the, uh, the wrongs of history will be righted. It is portrayed as a blessed governance by the exalted Savior of the faithful in eternity. Um, and so uh, here's Christ's kingdom uh, kind of given like three arenas of it, if you will, for all people, the, the, the saved, unsaved, the, the, the believer, unbeliever, all of creation, and then God's kingdom for the church, over the sovereignty over the church, and then Christ's sovereignty um, in the end uh, through his through his glory. I found that very helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, Odin is very, very helpful in all three of these offices, prophet, priest, and king, by the way, in his systematic theology. And you can find that in the show notes. That's show awesome. Notes. Show notes. So sure. guys, before, before we close, um, we've got to do something real quick. Uh, because I just keep replaying the Lord of the Rings soundtrack in my head. And last time we had a cinema of sorts reference come up, we assigned each other characters Ooh. Um, from Ooh. The Office. Do you remember that? We I do talking, remember that. The yes, I, I so do. Now, I because do. we're talking about the, re- the, you know, the return of the king, uh, King Jesus in that movie. So um, I'm just going to throw out there for our pot of humans. Uh, one of us is Aragorn. One of us is Gollum, and one of us is Gandalf. What? And I just, I would just like to play that game. So you can just put it in the comments. Uh, we have no feelings that can be hurt. We just want to see what will happen. And winner, except winner, Jim's. No, I'm good. I don't have feelings anymore. Um, so it's precious. The, okay, the Gollum. Tr- the truth. <laughs> the true winner will then create a meme of our face on the character. Nice. So, Potacumans, nice. if you want to play along, uh, have a little fun. Yes, Signing absolutely. off, Andy. And this is how we figure out who's actually listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, Allison and Jonathan, if y'all take care of this. Y- yeah, yeah, if y'all take care of that. <laughs> Speaking of Jonathan Smith, coming up in an upcoming episode, we have are going to be joined by a wonderful guest, Jonathan yeah. Smith, who is uh, an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, director of uh, the Georgia Southern Wesley Foundation, great friend, wonderful thinker and he's passionate the reverend doctor oh gosh the reverend doctor that's That's right right. and he's passionate about helping people know the lord so i'm I'm looking forward to that aren't you yeah very much so very much so that's going to be great and um he's going to be a fantastic uh um uh, listen and a guest for us um and we've got a couple of other guests who will be joining us hopefully very soon working out the details on those and uh pretty excited about that and then we've got a very special i'm just going to give this teaser but it's a long teaser it's like one of those teasers you see at the movie theater that comes out a year before the actual movie comes out Mm -hmm. uh we've got a very special guest coming to us in the first of september um and i'm very excited about that but i can't tell you who yet why because I don't want to, but we're going. <laughs> hey, 
Why? Because if you say this person's name three times, Brett might disappear. That's true. Absolutely. It could very, 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 very well happen. I can't speak all of a sudden once again. So let me, let me take over. I want to remind you guys that we're doing the Podakesis network also has a new podcast called the daily Psalms podcast. Yes. Where it's just a beautiful devotional short podcast too. It's not going to, it's not as long as long when it is this three to five minutes. Uh, you can pick that up, uh, find it wherever you find your podcasts, just to meditate on the Psalms yeah. uh, and to give attention to God's word in the morning or wherever you would listen. So I hope you'll check that out. Yeah. And um, I do try to add to it uh, periodically. Uh, I know it says daily Psalms. I'm trying to get it up there as quick as I uh, as I can. But yes, So absolutely. if you start later, you could listen to one a day. 100%. That's exactly right. Absolutely. No, but um, it's a great vision. And uh, I hope that you all will take part. Yes, absolutely. Um, as we come to a close, uh, one last thing about the kingship of Jesus that I think would be we would be remiss if we didn't just hit on, and that's this. Uh, the book of Revelation, the second coming of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, all things will be made right by the righteous king himself. Uh I would actually implore our listeners. I know sometimes the book of Revelation can be kind of uh, strange and people don't want to read it because they're already, they're afraid of it almost like, you know, uh, I'm not afraid of the book of Revelation. I'm afraid of wackos reading the book of Revelation and well, teaching from it. Um, but y'all are not wackos. Y'all are good biblical students. Yeah. Uh, look how King Jesus is promoted in there as the slain lamb who rules. Mm. Um, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It is. It is wonderful. And this is the one who um, holds dominion. And he's the one who the twenty-four elders sing, "Holy, holy, holy." And you've got just this wonderful, wonderful picture there of the King we serve and who will come again in final glory. Um, so, uh, as we come to a close here, episode twenty-three is coming up next. That's the one that Jonathan Smith will be joining us on. And uh, we'll be dealing with question 27 of the Shorter Catechism. And that question is, in what, uh, in what did Christ's humiliation consist? Um, in what did Christ's humiliation consist? And so we're going to be talking about uh, the, the birth of Christ, his suffering, his life, his suffering, and his death on a cross there, and what all that means um, for us. Uh, you can hit us up on social media at Podakesis at, uh, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at our website, podakesis.com. You can send us questions. We have an email address if you still use email uh, to communicate with people. That's questions at podakesis.com. We even have a phone number. You can call us a voicemail and leave your voicemail, 404-635-6679. We do have a listener who left us a... Hold I think on, I we have a listener? I know, we do. We've, We've got, got a, a listener! listener. <laughs> so uh, I feel like with that, by the way, that's, uh, for whatever reason, my brain went to Ghostbusters where they were like, we've got one! And hit the... Anyway, so, and again, Brett has not seen a movie since 1988. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, 404-635-6679. Uh, the last voicemail we had came from a wonderful, wonderful listener. I think I mentioned this earlier, who just was talking about how she has been so impacted by our podcast and she actually uses our podcast 
to prepare for teaching, I think, Sunday school. So that's pretty, pretty awesome. And that's exactly what this resource is all about, to, to, to grow the church, make disciples, and help the church know what it is that we believe. Uh, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. And I think we're done, guys. So uh, I'm Brett Maddox. That's Jim Morrow and Alan Kaysen. And we Ooh. will see you. Well, actually not see you. We'll talk to you next time on the Pot of Keats' podcast. Peace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>